We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's up, everybody? Welcome into your Thursday show. That means you get myself and the two smarter people of this operation, Andrew Spade and Jordan Zerm, joining. And I'm pumped about it because it's a big game. It's a really exciting opportunity for your Cleveland Browns uh, within the division, within the NFL atmosphere, to gain respect, to gain uh, some some acknowledgement for where they are as an organization, where they are as a team. And like I said, uh, it comes against a really good football team, the Baltimore Ravens. So traditionally on this show, you guys get something from us kind of more broad NFL based. But in this scenario, I think it's smart to sit here and really hone in on this football game and do what's it's just a round table, really a discussion around five questions about schematic philosophical uh, stuff within this football game with a really big one here. And so, you know, the Ravens have the Browns this week. They have the Bengals next week. The Browns have the, the Ravens this week. They have Pittsburgh the following week. It's a big two week span for the AFC North and the Browns get the first crack at the Ravens here who are a really hot football team, right? Seven and two among the top, the highest DVO graded teams of the year. And it's going to be a real challenge. They're healthier than the first time. There are a lot of elements that make this a a really fascinating contest. And that's why, again, we want to focus in on it. So I welcome in my two guests. Uh, First of all, co-host Andrew Spade. What's up, buddy? How are you? I'm good, Jake. Thanks for having me here. Uh, It's good to be here as always. And, um, yeah, I, I echo a lot of what you just said about the game. I it's it almost I I'm I'm flashing back to week 2 with Pittsburgh because I'm you know, you you kind of ended yesterday's show on a positive note about what the Browns could do in this one. I'm feeling a little confident and I remember feeling confident when they went into Pittsburgh in week 2 for that uh Monday nighter and I remember regretting it like midway through the first quarter. So I'm I'm actually right now trying to temper expectations. So I would appreciate it if we would maybe just turn the volume down on all the all the, the expectations talk here. Well, we welcome in Jordan Zerm too. Jordan, I think that you would maybe agree with Andrew, or do you don't? You think that they should turn the volume up perhaps a little bit to uh, put themselves in the right frame of mind for a big one? Yeah, I want the volume up. I want uh, visions of uh, Super Bowl parades. I want uh, visions of Browns branded beer bongs all throughout the streets of Cleveland. I want chaos. Um, Yeah, I don't think we should turn it down at all. I 
thank you for having me as always, of course. Um, I have just finished, uh, I tweeted about this. I just finished the show, The Fall of the House of Usher. It's on Netflix. If you haven't seen it, you should watch it. It is loosely based on an Edgar Allan Poe story. Edgar Allan Poe uh, obviously loves ravens. There's a lot of raven imagery in this show. And it's just, it's got me. There's also, weirdly, I will say this. There's a lot of crows here in Los Angeles. Crows resemble ravens. There's too many of them. They're really big. I don't understand why they're here or where they've come from. But today I went on a walk and there was a lot of them. I'm just saying there's a lot of symbolism going around with these birds. And I frankly have had enough and I, uh, I'm i ready for the game. So that's my that's my spiel. Good to be here. Uh, okay. I, I want to redo my intro because I'm usually, I do a weird one and Jordan's was weirder than mine. So <laughs> now I got to redo turn. mine. It did take a yeah, turn. I, this, uh, mine feels turn. almost boring by comparison because that was a lot. <laughs> A lot. So are you are you pro Raven? I just want to clarify. You're you're pro Raven or, or anti Raven? I'm I'm pro Raven, but mm-hmm. I when it comes to being reminded of the Baltimore Ravens, I'm anti Raven. Sure, obviously. So yeah, right but, now but like as an I, animal, yeah. They're cool, right? As an animal, no, they're chill. Um, yeah. three if they have three eyes or two eyes, any of those yeah. ravens are I'm good with. Yeah, I'm tired of them. Gotta be I gotta be honest. The the not not the animal, but the but the but the team. Like they won't go away. Like this is the theme of the AFC North. They just won't, especially Pittsburgh and Baltimore. They won't go away. And we talked about them this season as a team that could teeter between like being pretty good and being maybe a team that really struggles. And all of a sudden we're looking at these guys seven and two in a top, a lot of metrics. And it's, I gotta say, it's really annoying, but they're playing great football and it's going to be a tall task going into Baltimore to win this game. So like I said, we have five questions here. I think they're pretty good. You know, don't try to toot our horn too much, but I think we came up with some good ones that could put this game into perspective. So the first one is, you know, talking about what we can take away from the actual first game. A lot of people will say, uh, you know, the second time division teams get together, there's usually some funky stuff that can happen, et cetera, et cetera. So I think that you know the outliers of the first game are there, right? So if you're talking about uh, you know, the, the offensive side of the ball, it feels like from between the Browns offense and the Ravens defense, there's not much to take away. You're talking DTR, day of the game announcement, all the elements that come with that. On the other side of the ball, we'll talk about that, you know, here in a bit for what we can do to kind of take away. I think that the biggest thing on defense is not necessarily strategy, which I think could change. I think it's more if you listen to the guys after the game, the way that they framed it and being disappointed that they didn't have Deshaun and like, was everybody locked in? believing they could win. I don't think that that necessarily was in place. So, you know, my question is to you guys, like what can you take? Because it's really tricky that game, but maybe there's some elements you can pull away from it to to piece together, you know, some idea of what could come in the next one. Obviously injuries play into it too. We'll get to that uh, as well, but is the first game just a throwaway? Jordan, we'll go to you first. Is, is, is it meaningless? Do you think either of these two teams are giving any attention to that first game? I would generally say no. I think you make a really good point, Jake, about just like what the Browns overall mindset was when that game started, because yeah, the DTR thing, the sort of miscommunications that week, really where it all started with Deshaun's shoulder and felt like he could play there. You know, I heard the term medically cleared about 1 billion times and don't would love to just not hear that term anymore when it comes to football. Um, And then I also think like really early, 
you know, DTR had a turnover that put the Ravens immediately in the red zone. And it just, I mean, it just spiraled from there. You know, I think they let Lamar run in for a touchdown on a, maybe a third down. Um, that was kind of a, a backbreaker, but you know, they just put uh, DTR put the Ravens in a position to go score uh, almost instantly early in that game. And it all sort of went the opposite way from that. So I, I don't think there's a ton that you can take. I do think the only thing that you can take is really just how well, Lamar is playing and he's only gotten obviously better since that game but his um, completion percentage over expected I was just going back and looking at that game um, his completion percentage that game was 83.3 percent and he was only expected to complete 63 percent of his passes that day that's uh, basically a 20 percent increase so he was he was dealing and he has been dealing now he's not a high volume thrower they obviously run the ball a ton but if you've spent any time on like football twitter you've seen some of the just unbelief some of the unbelievable passes he's been throwing this season i think maybe better as a, as a thrower as he's looked his whole his whole career so i think if there's one thing to take away from it it is to be although the running game is you know still very much a focus it is really the what the browns are going to have to do when he when he throws um and when he has time in the pocket and deciding whether you're going to spy him at all or whether you're going to try and drop back and play coverage on third down so um i think if there is one thing you take away from that game it is just how well lamar played and you you know hopefully they've watched the film and and are going to make some tweaks on how they can play him um but other than that i think it was such a weird situation uh and the mindset was so off that especially offensively i i don't think there's a ton to take Andrew, same to you. I mean, it is, you know, the defensive side, I think it was like they were really challenged on some of the way they handle option stuff, which has been nuclear for them. Like you talked about that Lamar run in Jordan, uh, the, the the way they're handling read keys of who's on quarterback, who's on uh, running back stuff has been challenged. Indy challenged them. They challenged them. Do you expect the Browns to be more honed in on that stuff to take away what defenses were sort of capitalizing on? especially in those those two weeks sort of uh, close together there? Yeah, I mean, they need to be, right? Because uh, the Ravens have the more than enough personnel to take advantage of exactly that sort of a, a failing. So they need to be better in that regard. You know, I, I, I would agree with you that I think that it, it's possible that some defensive focus slipped because of the uh, late change from Watson to DTR in, in the first matchup. Um I think the the biggest takeaway that that I see from the first game is the Ravens and the Steelers. You know, they're they're both kind of these teams, as you mentioned, Jake. The, the The thing that they have in common more than anything is that they punish mistakes so effectively. So wh- whether that's penalties or turnovers, special teams miscue, any any possibility of of your team, uh, you know, giving them an extra chance, an extra life, so to speak. That's that's how the Steelers, do, you know, make their money, and that's how the Ravens have, have done it historically. Now, you know, with the offense clicking a little bit more, they almost kind of don't even need to grind games out that way, but they have that skill in their back pocket. You know, you talk about Justin Tucker. Uh, the Ravens, you know, this is relatively, I think, a down year for them special teams-wise, but, uh, he, you know, he's still a threat from long distance, and I think – I want to talk specifically about turnovers because I think the the story of the first seven weeks was that the Browns were turning the ball over much too much. 17 turnovers through seven weeks. They took care of it last week against Arizona. Didn't turn the ball over. 
and it kind of it then the Cardinals were giving them the ball, and we see how those things kind of become an avalanche. I I think the Browns, obviously, you know, uh, mistakes happen, a turnover can happen, maybe another football goes off a helmet. You never know; that could happen three weeks in a row. Uh, but what they can't do is they can't give the Ravens early points. They can't give them easy points through turnovers. And you know, additionally, obviously, if the if meanwhile if the defense could get a few of these fumbles that Lamar has been giving away. That could go a long way towards turning this thing in the Browns' favor, especially when you're on the road. Because I think you you, you know you want to hang in this thing early. You do not want to be in a position where you're down seven, ten, fourteen points after a quarter, like they were in Seattle. It 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 puts it puts the offense in too predictable of a pass situation. There's all these questions at the tackle. So that's the turnover issue. I think is the big takeaway from the first game because. Teams like the Ravens are so good at exploiting that weakness, and and they do not let those gifts go away for free. They cash them in every time. If turnover stuff is going to be important, and that kind of goes into our second question, which, you know, as we're looking at the Browns' offense, if this is the part of that first game we're really throwing away, there's still some stuff from the other side, Baltimore O, Browns D, that you you definitely know both teams are focusing on. But this is the side where I think both sides, to an extent, are throwing it out. So. When you look at it, you think about how the Browns put together points. Which area concerns you more? Just Watson in his second game against this Baltimore defense, which does some unique stuff. In the first contest, they played like 84% zone. In the second contest, so for the season, for season long, they're like a 67% zone team. Uh, They're the ninth highest man-using team in the NFL, so they didn't play much man in the first matchup. So just something to kind of note there that they played a lot of zone. I'm wondering if you're more concerned about Watson being able to pick apart zone coverages, feel that out, or are you more worried about what is going on with the left and right tackle situation? Whereas we learned today, Dewan Jones is dealing with a, a shoulder and something else, maybe an ankle. He's dealing with two, two specific things. So he is out of practice today. And we obviously know Jed is out, so they only have one tackle that we have seen consistently this year. He is obviously beat up. It's um, it's jarring. It's jarring, right? So I'm not answering the question for anybody, but I think that both of those are probably equal concerns. But I, I want to know which way you lean for uh, which which one's going to bother you or keep you kind of concerned the most. Jordan, we'll go to you. The it's it's the offensive line um, because. As we've seen from Deshaun, he still won't stop taking hits. Uh, so I am a little, I'm a little worried about. I mean, obviously, it's going to affect their ability to run their offense if they the offensive line can't hold up. Um, but then on the other side of that is is if they're getting pressure early and often, and Deshaun feels like he's got to scramble, bail out of the pocket. Um, make things ha- make things happen with his feet or on broken plays. I just get very worried about not only him just get being sacked or being hit, um, but also if he's you know if he's running, if he's going to take unnecessary hits, if he's not sliding. I just I, I envision one scenario of this game where you know his internal clock gets way way sped up because of the pressure that they're getting because of sort of the questions about the line right now, and I think that's where you get nervous not only about yeah I mean it's going to be tough to to run their offense, but 
you know, we finally have one week where he's not on the injury report and we get through a game and he makes some throws and you're starting to feel good. And maybe it's the, the Browns fan in me, but I, you know, you always just sort of feel like that black cloud a little bit because this is a team that um, is really, really good defensively. And this is about the worst timing for some of this offensive line stuff as they go through the week. So, I mean, I think, you know, they go one in the same Deshaun's ability to sort of have time if they're going to play zone to sit back and see what windows are coming open and what they're running. But I would say that it's sort of the potential for him being hit um, that, that probably worries me the most. Yeah. I, I think the thing is silver lining here. I don't know if it is a silver lining, but to me it is. I can't see him taking many harder hits than the one he walked himself into on that third down and four where he ran back toward the hash marks and got his head knocked off by that. I don't even know who it was. The defensive tackle for the Cardinals and seems fine. So it can just take the, the brutal hit of a 330 pound human being and be fine. And then it can fall to the ground and hit your head on the turf. And it's hurt another time. I don't know. It's hard to keep up with it. It's a bit of a moving target there. So uh, the good thing is though, is that we've got an example that he can, he can handle that sort of hit, right? Andrew, I mean, yeah, uh, he's gonna, the human body I mean, is a mystery, Jake. No question about it. In the Cleveland Brown circles, it is. So I guess we'll shift it to you, Andrew, and and, and talk about it from the perspective of, you know, if is like is Watson going to be so worried about the tackles that it hurts his ability to play on time? Because that's kind of the the piggyback answer to mm-hmm. this is, do those two fold into each other because he's so worried about outside pressure that he never settles into the pocket and is always sort of instead of reading things. You've seen him do it. Yep. He'll kind of duck the head a little bit and scramble mm-hmm. around. And I think those two might play into each other a little bit more than we're thinking. Yeah, I think it's it's a concern. I, I think, though, if he's seeing it well, uh, the way that he was against the Cardinals, then or at times against the Cardinals, I guess I should say, uh, then it won't matter because he'll be able to get the ball out quickly. I trust that Kevin Stefanski is going to have a plan to mitigate uh, pressure if uh, it's a big issue for the tackles, you know, especially if, if Dewan's not playing and they're, they're, they're dealing with two reserves, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's going to have to be part of the game plan to get the ball out quickly. So if Watson, to me, if Watson is seeing it well, then you can mitigate that pressure a little bit. Um, so I would, I would prefer if we can fix one of the two things, I would prefer that he's not getting confused by the coverage stuff and kind of knows what the Ravens are going to do and, and can find the guy quickly because, uh, you know, frankly, the pass rush protection from the tackles has not been stellar, especially from the left tackle so far this season. So there was already going to be some pressure, even if Jed Wills was healthy. It's not like they were pitching a shutout. So um, Watson continuing to see it, get the ball out of his hands. To your point, Jake, try and limit the number of hits he takes. That would be cool. Yeah, it doesn't seem like he's going to push confidence to us that he will start changing some of the way he approaches scramble situations and stuff, right? No, that's not going anywhere. Yeah, there's little faith. He even kind of brushes it off when his teammates talk about it, which it's like, hey, man, we're not being funny. That third down against Cardinals doesn't matter that much, man. uh, We'd like to have you for the whole year. Okay, so we're going to take a quick break, uh, come back from break, and then we have some defense questions and then uh, just a fun one at the end about where the Browns would be if they were to go into Baltimore and win this game. So good stuff coming after the break. Word from our sponsors. We'll be right back. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. 
Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Buying tickets to your favorite events should not be stressful, guys. Game time is the fast and easy way to buy tickets for all the sports, music, comedy, and concerts near you. You can find them last minute with killer deals and their best price guarantee helps you stop stressing over the tickets and start getting hyped for all the fun you've had. So why would you go game time? They have flash deals, last-minute tickets. They're easy to find. Buy tickets for every kind of event in your area, specifically those Cleveland Browns. You get great images of the seats view, which is awesome when you're trying to figure out how the stadium is going to look when you're trying to find that right ticket for the right price. And they have that low price guarantee and event cancellation protection, job loss protection, all of the stuff to help you protect your money. Right, It's the fastest growing ticket app for a reason in the country. You get images of your seats, like I said, before you buy them. You buy tickets in a matter of seconds, and they're sent directly to your phone. All right, So you never have to go digging through your email to find something last second. It is always there. You can put them in your wallet app and make sure to have them up and ready to go. It's important to know you can download that GameTime app, which makes it extremely easy, very intuitive, very fast way to buy those tickets. Create an account and use the promo code OBR for $20 off your first purchase. Again, terms apply. Again, create that account. Redeem the code OBR for $20 off. You can do so at GameTime.co. It is not .com. It is GameTime.co. But I would suggest downloading that app, taking advantage of the $20 off coupon, using the promo code OBR. Download GameTime today. Last-minute tickets, lowest price guaranteed. All right, switching over to how the Browns defend Baltimore in general. So this is the challenge there is tape on this side of the ball the browns rode into that game feeling great about themselves putting up some historic games and they were humbled a part of the two game streak of getting humbled well, the, the san francisco game was between the indie game but i think there's been a couple times where juan thornhill even mentioned that like hey we've been riding high and a couple teams have knocked us off our high horse although jordan you noted the stuff with the with the cpoe like lamar played unbelievable i've pointed it out on this podcast a lot i've talked about the types of throws he made in that game is that replicable i don't know i don't know if he can continue to you you really want to say the process the browns were in was good but they just didn't make those plays and lamar did right it's not like there were a bunch of blown coverages happening here the run game stuff's a little different so the question we have is kind of first on lamar is how would you defend him the browns only blitzed him six times the first time okay in those six in those six pressures Here's what they received. Two yards, negative two. Another time on a first and 10 where he hits uh, in a scramble situation, gets away from the pressure, hits Zay Flowers up the right sideline for 36 yards, and then three yards, two yards, zero yards. So those are the results when they blitz. The Browns played an equal percentage of man and zone, 40, 47% uh, pretty much man. And they're, uh, they're a little below that on the season for what they average. They're like 42 43%. So they played a fair amount of man coverage. A hot, a hot topic you'll see everybody talk about is, you know, do you need to spy Lamar, right? Do you need to send someone out there to kind of uh, huddle up next to the line of scrimmage and keep him, if he gets out of the pocket somewhere, bring him down. 
So I'm looking for what you guys would like to do. Do they need to play more zone? Do they need to have guys sitting back, forcing Lamar to thread the needle often? Do they need to play more man? Condensing those routes like they like to do, right? Funneling everything inside, letting the front four get home. Or do they need to dedicate somebody almost regardless of coverage style at times to keep an eye on Lamar? He didn't really hurt him on the ground much, but he can get out, scramble, and throw, and that still matters, right? So interested in what you guys would like to see them do to attack him because there's obviously, like I said, tape on the first game where I didn't think the Browns were bad, uh, but Lamar made a bunch of plays. So do you need to fluster him more is the question. Andrew, you first. Yeah, I, I want to see him flustered you know after after looking at some of his stats uh against the blitz and against man coverage those sorts of things he it's the the struggles that you've seen Lamar have throughout his career are still there against the blitz and um I I think the Browns blitz really well you know that they're they're a good team because they play such good man coverage behind it so I I I like you you I think it's that Mike, I mean, that old Mike Tomlin quote, forgive me for quoting Mike Tomlin on a Browns podcast, but you can't live in your fears, right? Like if Lamar is going to get loose and scramble every once in a while and hit Zay Flowers up the sideline on a circus play where he, you know, he's rolling out and that sort of thing. I think you have to live with a little bit of that to try and get some negative plays, because if you're just going to play zone and you're going to let him assess things and try and get home with four, he has, he still has the escapability if you're trying to pressure with four. And and he's not flustered because he's able to see that he doesn't have an option downfield and then prepare to scramble rather than being flushed. So I want him rattled. And I think the only way you rattle him is by bringing pressure and, and then playing man behind it. So that's my preference. I know you can't do that every down. You certainly can't do it in, in situations where they can gash you with a screen or a, 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 a draw, something like that. So you got to be smart about it. But you get him into obvious passing situations. If they can defend the run, then you can kind of come after him a little bit. And I again, I think forcing a turnover or two is key to this whole thing because I don't think playing these guys to a draw defensively is is going to work out in the Browns' favor, right? Like I I think they need a they need a splash player two on defense, and I think the way you create that is through pressure. I looked up too; they played five snaps of bare front stuff. So what that is is five defensive linemen usually have two three techniques and a, sh- a zero nose, and then you're walking up two edge players. I will be curious if they go back to that. I would like to see them nullify the run as best they can and Agreed. say, hey, Martin, yep. if Denzel, now Denzel, uh, sorry, Denzel's obviously playing. If Greg Newsom plays, they need him to play. Mm-hmm. If he plays, trust those guys to be able to handle island football against these receivers the Ravens have. That's right. And take away as much of the run game as you possibly can. So I'm giving my answer to that. I don't mind the split that they played with. And I would like to see a few more blitzes. Now, you know, at this point in that game, they could have wanted to be really aggressive, but the, the situations right. they put themselves in with the run game stuff could have kind of altered Schwartz' in-game plan. But I would like to see a double-digit double blitz number, which is, you know, 10 is only four more to try to put pressure on. That means you're getting them into some third downs. And I would like them to do whatever it takes to nullify the run game or make it harder on them to run. Because if you guys remember... And the Ravens didn't really run it at a high volume. We'll see. They like this Keaton Mitchell, who I liked a lot. I'm really still bummed about him being in Baltimore at a breakout game. They're they're feeling the run game better right now than they were earlier in the season. They've been demolishing teams. And when they played the Browns, 
there were a lot of running lanes. Like they were, they were bumping guys because of the jet motion stuff. The Browns weren't doing the things they were supposed to do in terms of where they were supposed to slide and fall back. I would imagine the Browns are honed in on fixing that, but stopping the run is the most important thing to stopping Baltimore. Lamar can still beat you if you make him one dimensional, but I would like to see him be as one dimensional as possible. The, The offense they have over there as one dimensional as possible. That would be my goal. I think you can still mix up your, your cover three, some long down cover two, cover six, and play your man funnel stuff you like to do. But I still think whatever it takes, in my opinion, to get the run stopped, I would prefer to go that direction. Because if you let these guys be two, two-faced, two man, and be able to put you in binds on play action, it's not a good outcome. So that's where I'm at. Jordan, do you think Andrew and I are stupid and you have your own plan, or do you think one of those makes sense? I mean, I think both of you are stupid in general, but I agree with you uh, on on these plans in this instance. Um, no, I think you guys um, have said everything really, really well. I would, I would just say, like, I think defensively, it's one of those things where it's like, don't get away from what you do well. You know, I think to both of your points is you can be tempted. I think sometimes to play to play some zone to try and muddle what Lamar is seeing, but I think especially as we've seen from last year to this year, how much more effective they are playing man, especially when they can get pressure. And it's just like, don't go away from what you're really, really good at. Don't change your game plan completely just because of who the opponent is. And I don't think they will. I don't think Jim Schwartz is that kind of coordinator, which is a, which is a, which is a bonus. Um, I think the other thing that is interesting to me, I have been racking my brain trying to remember what, what game this was in and what quarterback it was against. And I can't, so I'm just going to say it generally. It was a mobile quarterback and a team on a third down in the red zone. They had like a double spy. It looked like both of their linebackers were coming and then they just sort of stopped and waited. I want to say maybe it was against Josh Allen. I can't remember. I think that's right. I think it was Josh Allen. Yeah. And they both just sort of waited. Um, It's not something you want to use every play. And I don't think spying, um, an absurd amount of times is a good idea. But I think when you can mix up some of these looks, whether it's the blitz and Lamar doesn't know where it's coming from, Jake, to your point, I agree with you. Those numbers against for Lamar against the blitz outside of that one play um, to Zay Flowers are actually, you know, really good. So you disguise your blitzes and maybe on some third downs, you make it look like JOK is coming or you make it look like Grant Delphit's coming, but instead they stop and they spy just so Lamar it shifts a little bit into his brain. Like, oh, that guy's a spy. He's not blitzing. That just type of thing. Um, so I think, yeah, do what you do well. Mix it up smartly when you can and when you feel you have an opportunity to um, and, and go from there. But I think, like, generally agree with you guys and don't get away from what has made this defense so good all season long, which is um, their ability to play man, their ability to get pressure. You've got it. The other thing for me is, like, you just have to. It doesn't mean you have to get sacks. But you can't. Some of the some of his best throws this season have come where he's just chilling in the pocket. Exactly. Initially, initially can't find anybody. But you you cannot guard these guys with Lamar for five six seconds. So um, you got to make them step up, move around, feel the pressure, and you can't let them sit back there. Yeah, I just I want to underline that part about the aggressiveness and and like the the double spy thing is is such a good point. I think you you have to be willing to take chances. You have to be willing to be aggressive and dictate to the, to the Ravens. You cannot expect to beat a team like this by waiting for them to make a mistake. If you, if you just kind of sit back and try and absorb all the body blows, you're going to, you're going to get buried eventually because they, they just play very, very efficiently. 
And the only way you can disrupt efficiency is by taking chances. So I would much rather go down swinging, you know, make, make Lamar make a half dozen hero plays again. I mean, God knows we've seen it plenty of times already. It won't kill us to see it one more time, but I'd rather see that than see the Browns, you know, uh, dropping eight and, you know, rallying to tackle and the, the Ravens just kind of go six, eight, 12, five yards, you know, chunk, chunk, chunk down the field. Uh, that, that would be much worse death by a thousand cuts. So yeah, go get after them. That's, that's my main thing. Yeah. Try to take the action to them. I'm with it. So the question that comes off of that, is this the best offense they face this year? They have, they've faced some, right? And I think the 49ers presented a challenge when they came in. Now they got a little beat up in the game later on. Some things happen that, that you can formulate excuses. Um, they've already faced the Ravens, but the difference is that you have Odell back. Now you have, Rashad Bateman back now, and I believe Ronnie Stanley's back playing. Uh, so they're healthier. And, you know, the, the the Colts are unique, but not elite, obviously. I feel like it's safe to say this is the best offense they face this year from the time at which they face them, the health around them, the vibes. Again, they blew out Detroit, put it on them, scored easily just three weeks ago, and then obviously, you know, took it, to both of the next two opponents, including a Seahawks defense that I think is as far as a secondary goes really, really talented. So yeah, I, I would say yes, but I can be convinced I'm wrong on this one, but, but, but I think that the way they're playing and now their run game dialed up makes it, you know, all the more challenging. So uh, Andrew, I'll throw it to you. I I don't, I don't know if uh, it's as clear cut as I think it is, but, but I certainly do think the Ravens are going to present, the best offense, the biggest test for a defense we still think is really good. It's so tough because I think the 49ers are getting a little bit of, you know, they're getting slept on now because they've lost three in a row. Right. And, um, and there's questions about Brock Purdy. I think, I think Lamar is the best quarterback they've played. You know, I mean, considering how limited Joe Burrow was, I think Lamar is certainly the best quarterback they've played. Um, I, I think the 49ers offense probably overall is better than you mentioned some of the stuff that changed in the game with both McCaffrey and Samuel coming out of that game. I think that maybe changes the math a little bit too. So to me, it's basically a toss up. And I think that goes to, you know, one of the points we made really early on, which is that there's a, I think there's, there's a, I think you could make a pretty strong case that the Browns felt a little bit gut punched by what happened with Watson in the first game and felt like they'd lost that game before it started. And I think the way that they bounced back from that against the 49ers after the bye week is, is in a way kind of proof of that. And I think the way this defense has been this year, the way that they've played with swagger and confidence, I expect them to really bring it on Sunday and, and be a much sterner test for the Ravens than they were the first time around. So I'm, I, I I certainly respect the Ravens offense and I definitely, I mean, you know, Lamar is one of my favorite players to watch in the NFL. He's just, he's one of a kind and uh, you know, the league is better for him being in it. I uh, wish that any number of NFC teams had gotten their heads out of their asses and traded for him in the off season when it could have worked, but he's, you know, Regardless of where he plays, he's still a very cool dude and plays uh, a good football game. So, I, I, but having said all of that, I'm not scared 
I guess is what I'm saying. Like, I don't think, I think the Browns defense is good enough that they do not have to be scared of this offense. Yeah. And I think that over the years, people have put, you know, you, you almost create a quarterback in a lab. Lamar Jackson would be one of the lab creations like that kind of scary, but the Browns, even in the Joe Woods days have played him really well. So Again, he had to make some unbelievable throws to do the stuff he did last. Not like the Browns were screwing a bunch of things up. So, uh, I, I again, same question to you, Jordan. I, I I think that Andrew made some great points about the fear that comes with him. I mean, they're, I would say, do you think the Browns have appropriate fear of him? That would be the question. Do they respect him too much, too little? Like, where do you think that sits? Because these guys have seen him now. A lot of these players have seen him for five, six years. I think I think they definitely have the appropriate amount of both respect and fear. I think you know Miles, Miles Garrett today or yesterday I think was on the the Kay Adams show um, talking about. She asked him I think who he has better right now, Joe Burrow or Lamar, and he ultimately said Joe Burrow, but he spent more time talking about Lamar. I mean I I think these guys are very well aware of what Lamar Jackson can do has done they've been in some battles with him i think on a previous pod we talked about that baker mayfield lamar um battle that those two went at it like they've they spent a lot of time and they know what he's capable of i don't think there would be any overlooking of what he is especially after that first game um i think i mean i think andrew makes some really good points too about now how we're at the point where the 49ers are now being overlooked uh, just because of and then they have their bye week and like they're gonna be fine that's a really good offense um the Ravens, I was just looking at this, they're they're seventh overall in EPA per play on offense, um, only behind Dallas, uh, the Chiefs, Eagles, Bills, uh, 49ers, who are still second um, uh, in EPA per play, and then obviously the Dolphins. But they are just so much their, – their rush EPA is so much higher than anyone's. Like they are just at an elite, elite level. Uh, with the rush. Now the pass, I would say, I would say outside of Mark Andrews, I still am not um, the skill positions have never done a ton for me with the Ravens. Obviously if they get the run game going, it it makes a huge difference, but um, I I would put them right there with San Francisco. And I think just because of Lamar Jackson, that gives them um, a little bit of a bump up there. Um, And I, Lamar, you know, is also, I think he's ninth in EPA, uh, per play this season as well. So like, he's obviously there were both him and the Ravens. They go as he goes, he completes a ton of passes. Um, he hits the easy throws. Um, so I think they have the appropriate fear, um, the appropriate respect, but again, can they Jake, stop the run? Your, like, can the, that's, that's the question we're point, probably, that's maybe the that's biggest, the, yeah, maybe that's the biggest the thing biggest we're not thing. asking. What's your confidence they can get it done to stop the run? Cause not many people are stopping them. The Browns certainly didn't stop them the first time the way they needed to. Do you believe they can do it, Jordan? They they have it in them, certainly. Um, you know, obviously Arizona is a complete is is shouldn't really even. I mean, that's an, an anomaly. But the the way they can, especially with those guys in the interior, get off their blocks and blow things up in the backfield, they have that ability. Uh, whether it's Arizona or whether it's Baltimore, I, I think they really can. I think they have to set that tone from the first series. Like they need to be in that backfield. They need to be getting off their blocks blowing up schemes like they they have the ability with the guys that they've signed who are having really good seasons on that interior so but they have to do it so I think they can um I think they have the skill set I think they have the guys uh, on the second level too that can come in there like JOK or Delpit who can fill some of those holes too they just gotta like that's gotta be from snap one 
that focus. And if you get burned on some passes because you're focused on it, fine. But I think like, like to your earlier point, you, you try to make them one dimensional because if the run game is going, everything else is off of that. And then you don't know what they're doing. And that makes it really, really difficult. Well, the thing that's tough too, before we move on is like they, the Browns defense, what worries me is that they'll play four snaps really well. Mm-hmm. And then they'll, they'll be unsound against a specific concept and give up a 40, 50, 60 yarder. That, that has been like the thing when they've been beat Seahawks beat them. Right. We know the couple chunk runs that Zach Moss and, you know, Jonathan Taylor were able to break off. Like th- those are the things that are troubling. And there were obviously, I think four explosive runs from Baltimore in the first time that they played the Browns don't seem to care. Not that they don't care. They're not achieving defensive run game efficiency. They're giving up those chunks. Like the question is, can they cut out the explosives? Because they play a lot of snaps really well. They're coming off of a week where they played really well, as we all know. But like, I'm just sort of what continues to keep me worried is that they, they give up these heftier runs and, and then they'll have two or three straight one, two negative ones. And then they'll give up another 15 yarder. It's like, it's like, I just wish they could tighten that up a little bit, be more consistent. They'll need to be more consistent, quite obviously. Yeah, I think that's absolutely right, Jake. And I think it's it's very different from Joe Woods' philosophy, right, where it was it was all about sort of consistently being okay. Jim Schwartz seems to accept a little bit more variance, you know, with his defense where he if if you're getting off the field, if you get gashed once but you have seven three and outs in a row, that's okay for him, I think. Um I think I what I really want to see from from Schwartz specifically in this game is I want to see to this conversation about the running game I want to see a wrinkle I want to see whether it's the bare front stuff or like the three safety stuff that they used really effectively against the the 49ers uh, I want to see something that breaks a tendency for the Ravens or you know sends them scrambling a little bit for a solution and buys them a few series early that's what I want to see I want to see something where you know, their 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 first and ten run game stuff is stifled and they're forced into obvious passing situations. Because I think if you can buy a few of those early and switch the game script so that it favors the Browns, so that the Browns are the team that can rely on the run and the Ravens feel like they have to pass a little bit more, I think that does so much to help your defense stay in this game. Because it's just, I you know, the, I think the one of the reasons the Ravens have been so good running the ball is that they they've gotten out to early leads. And then they can just lean on teams. I mean, I think one thing that's very true about Baltimore's offense is that it is pretty game script dependent. And they've done a really good job of protecting themselves by staying in positive game scripts. The Browns need to find a way to disrupt that. And I think a, like some sort of a wrinkle in their scheme would be a, a great way to do it. Yep, I'm pulling for that as well. Something to, to, to keep them off kill, to create some negative runs. They need to create some negatives or zero negative opportunities to put the Ravens in as many if we look at this game as many third and longs as possible that they were in, you know, that's probably going to tell the tale that that they were able to, to shut these guys down a little bit. Again, you look at the Ravens rush yards in, in each game, 110, 178, 186, 131, 125, 139, 146, 130, and then 298. So uh, they are really good at that phase. While if you look at the past, they're necessarily throwing for a ton of yards because they don't need to. So let's try to see if they can do that. Uh, anyway, let's switch over. Last question on the way out the door. Uh, if the Browns win this game, right? If they win this game. So Adam Rank picked the Browns from NFL Network to win this game. Not a great oh. omen. Not a great omen. Just going to be honest. 
guy who picked the Browns to go like four and 12 or four and 13 or something like that. He decides to pick the Browns this week. The only person um, if they win, which I have faith that they will, right? It's weird, but I have faith that they will. Where does it put the Browns They get the national respect? You guys think they deserve? I think it'll launch them. Okay. Here, let me, let me lay out where it'll be. Oh, they have Watson back. They're playing better. They're six and three without Nick Chubb. The, these injuries, would it put them in the top five? So what I'm asking you guys, first part of the question, would it put them in the top five? And if, if uh, off of that, will you tell me who your top five teams are in the NFL? Because I think that kind of like a little power ranking on the way out is fun too. So uh, this win, Jordan, you go first here. Does it put them in the top five in the league? And then uh, who are your five uh, teams if it's not including the Browns? Okay. Um, yeah, this is a tough one because there's sort of a cluster of teams sort of at the bottom of that top five that I'm just not sure where I would put them. I, I also guess it depends. Like it is so to me where I put the Browns. It's just like where Deshaun Watson is. If he, if they beat the Ravens and it's because he makes a couple of big time plays, whether it's on a third down, um, you know, whether it's on a drive that they, you know, they need points to put the game away, that type of thing. Like, yeah, I think we're still looking for that sort of consistency. So if that happens, I think, yeah, like there is an argument to be made. You know, I think like Eagles and Chiefs um, and probably, I mean, the Dolphins have struggled against teams with winning records, but I still think like offensively what they can do puts them up there for me. Um, I think too, like my, you know, I'd be curious if you guys agree, but to me, the Bengals are coming and like watching that offense um what they're able to do now with a healthy joe burrow they still can't really run the ball and it it, but those weapons like they've never really been able to run the ball and when you have t higgins and jamar chase um tyler boyd everybody kind of going like their skill position players is i would put them up there with some of the best in the league and if, if burrow's back to to himself which it certainly looks like he is um I, I don't know like that. Obviously, you know, defensively, they don't have the names that the Browns do, but they have a hell of a coordinator um, and they know what they're doing on that side of the ball. So I think I would put them just my answer right now will be I'll put them just on the outside of the top five. And I think my top five would be Eagles, Chiefs. This is with the Ravens loss. So I'll take them out. I'll replace them with the 49ers. Um and maybe the Bengals actually instead of the Dolphins. So I, I think there's something like I think the Browns would be right there though with that sort of right below. Whether it's with the Dolphins, they'd be right there with, I guess the Jaguars, I guess the Lions, like those teams that are sort of just right below that top five. Um, I think I'd put them right there. Um, but I, I am, I think the Bengals are still not being talked about quite enough about like their ascendance. Um, and I just don't think they're quite there with the rest of those teams, but if they go into Baltimore and they win this game, I think they're, they're absolutely right there. And you would just feel really, really good going into a game against Pittsburgh, um, at home. That would be huge to win those back-to-back division games. I think you would just feel in a way better place. I'll tell you who doesn't want to play the Bengals and that's the bills. That's a legitimate, legitimate problem for them. Um, all right, Andrew, you're up. Same question, same premise. Hit us. Yeah, it's it's a really tough question to answer because I really I feel like the Ravens would probably still have a legitimate argument to be a top five team even if they lost to the Browns. That's how good they've been overall. Yeah, it would just be the look of that game, right? If no, for sure. Blowout, right. yeah, maybe, but yeah, you're right. 
Yeah, he's seven and three, so they're still in good path. Yeah, exactly. I, th- I mean, they're just they're very strong. So I think it would it would elevate the Browns more than it would discount the Ravens in my mind. I guess is what I would say. Uh, because and I would still expect the divisional race to be a you know a, a real dogfight that would not be over just because they won that one game. It would this basically the Browns beating the Ravens would open that conversation, not end that conversation. Is is the way I would put it. So yeah. As far as other teams, um, I think the Chiefs are the best team in the league right now. Uh, you kind of have to assume that they will figure out the offense at some point, and their defense has been awesome. So, you know, I mean, that's it. <laughs> cool talking about the Chiefs being one of the best teams in the league. It's a pretty unique take that I've worked on over here. Um, <laughs> I, I Like I said before, 49ers are better, I think, than people are treating them, you know, and I think the Chase Young edition is – maybe somehow getting slept on because they were on by last week. I don't know. Um, so I guess give me the, you know, the chiefs, Eagles and 49ers as a kind of top three. And then I think it becomes kind of a conversation like Jordan said, amongst a bunch of teams, right? I think the dolphins and the Jaguars are in there in the AFC. I think the lions are in there. Uh, and I think the Browns with this win would be in there with the Ravens, you know? So, um, I, I know Jake that you're virulently anti Cowboys, but, uh, they, still have good games in them from time to time. And I don't think can be counted out. So I feel like there's kind of the way that I would, I, I, you know, this is maybe overdone, but I think a tier system is helpful here. I see that, you know, the chiefs, Eagles, 49ers, Ravens as kind of a tier. Right. And I think even with a loss to the Browns, I, I, I don't know if I would bump the Ravens out of that tier, but I think a, a win over the Ravens would definitely vault the Browns into the conversation in that next tier. We also have to take into account a couple things. What color is the Super Bowl logo this year? I'm sure you guys have seen that. Uh, where the no, last I two, that one. the last two Super Bowl logo colors have been in the game. Uh, yeah. So keep the, keep that in mind when you're. It's talking al- about Jake. It's pick. almost like does it even matter? Because oh. are the Ravens destined? Because purple is in the logo. Um, does it Unless even Josh matter? Dobbs can take off, right? You know, that, well, that he can go Vikings. To, go Vikings, right? Uh, you know, the funny thing about the Chiefs is you're talking about that. It's just so ironic that they finally have a a down season offensively, and their defense is one of the best in the NFL. Just yeah. ironic is that, one word. Fucking annoying. Funny how, that, see, yeah, funny how that works out a, for them. This is a quick aside. Um, I believe it was Danny. I, I don't know how to pronounce his last name. It's like Danny Heifetz. Yeah, Heifetz. Yes. Um, I'm going to Heifetz. Uh, he writes uh, He writes for The Ringer. Um, he wrote something. Uh, oh, he said uh, in the locker room after the Chiefs won the Super Bowl. Um, so this was last season. I overheard two rookie defenders laughing about how they won the Super Bowl without understanding their own defense and how good they'll be when they actually learn it. That was last season. Uh, so apparently they picked it up. Um, because the offense was so good, it didn't really matter. And now they're sort of carrying the team. Uh, so yeah, the chiefs just, I guess, can't lose in any way. Must be fun. Must be, must Must be be really fun. Uh, all right. So it's, it's for myself. I don't think like, I think Andrew, your tier systems, right. I don't think this would, I think people would still keep the Browns out of the top five because of some of the caveats around the injuries that have happened and where they're at. It would certainly put them into like an eyebrow raising situation for taking them really serious. Yeah, it's the Eagles. Uh, It's probably on the NFC side. It's hard because you watch the Lions just get demolished by the Ravens. So it's like it's a little bit tricky to try to take them as serious as you want to take them. Would you say like neutral field or 49ers 
at home that they would, I still feel like they'd be favored over the lions to me. So I would probably lean 49ers, right? You, you still have to take the dolphins with the high level of respect. Obviously the chiefs are in there and I think the Ravens would be out. So I don't think they'd be in the top five, but if they won the next two in a row, I tell you what, that would be it. They would be what? Yeah. Seven and three at that right. point, And yep. you would be in the heart of it. And you would definitely be a top five team from a view perspective. Now, again, some comes down to style points on these games. Does Deshaun Watson look right? You know, it's a, it's a narrative thing here, but uh, it's kind of fun to just dream about the situation that, that really doesn't seem that far fetched because you get the Steelers at home. And as we know, the Brown Steelers who's at home matters a whole hell of a lot uh, for, for these games. So, uh, if you get a chance to beat the Ravens here, you actually do pull it off. It's quite the way to launch into the second half of your schedule, guys. So I, I'm really, really excited to watch this game. And I I hope it's just a game. Like, I really hope it's a good game because the thing that you don't want is to just be let down that, you know, the, the Browns don't show. I, it's hard to see the Ravens no show for it at home with everything. They, they, they sort of smell blood in the division a little bit here. It's hard to see them no showing it, but. I think we've seen the Browns at times no-show some of these over the last years. I don't get the vibe they will this year. I feel like there's a lot of different vibes around the team in general. I just would really like for this to be a fun game because I think the fans deserve to have fun with it, and hopefully they can pull it off. Closing thoughts from either of you. Uh, go ahead. Yeah, I kind of flash back to – I was just about to bring up the the Browns, Ravens, I think it was week four, 2019, uh, in the Freddie Kitchens era. They uh, – were expected to do very little obviously and and went in and and put it on the Ravens. I think that was the last time the the Ravens no showed a Browns game at home. So it's the last possible the Kitchens game was fun too. Yeah. I'd say that. Yeah. It was the best so. game of 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 his tenure, there's no doubt about it. Uh there was I remember Nick Chubb dominating in that game. It would be fun. It was a little bit of an aside, but it would be fun if Nick Chubb was healthy uh for this one. Um Yeah. Yeah, no, I I mean I I would say that my closing thought is I'll just echo what you said, Jake, that Browns fans deserve this to be a competitive game. I don't think that Browns fans deserve a win here any more than Ravens fans do, but we have had the last two years kind of marred by this. Ever since that Chiefs opener in 21, this sort of inconsistent feeling where you're not sure what team is going to show up every week. And I think the quarterback being healthy, the defense being where it is, the Browns, there's no reason they shouldn't give this Ravens team everything they can handle. So that's my expectation to kind of echo what you said, Jake. My expectation is that this is a competitive football game. And if that's the case, regardless of the outcome, I, I honestly will be pretty satisfied because as I've kind of been saying, it, it maybe losing this game ends your chances at the division, but it doesn't end your season. You know, six, six and uh, – sorry, five, five and four with – the schedule they have left is still very much in, in, in the middle of things. And I think that's important to remember, but it's also important to remember that no showing a game like this would be a big kick in the pants for all of us. And I, it's to me, it would be really hard to swallow. It'd be, it would undo a lot of really good faith they've built for exactly. fighting through some of the that's things right. they fought through here. So, all right, Jordan, over to you. Yeah. I mean, I think Andrew's spot on. And I think the idea of like, it's a big boy game, you know, this is, this is that what they did against, the Cardinals or even a little bit, some of those bigger wins, like against the 49ers, <clears throat> you, you get blown out in Baltimore. And it just feels like, well, same old stuff. So my, my only final thought is that I don't often 
you know, I think it's always more on the players and it is the coaches and coordinators to execute and play well. But I, this feels like a really big coordinator game. Like this feels like a really big scheme game from Jim Schwartz and, and Kevin Stefanski. This just feels like a really big game where they need to have a plan in place that is going to work. Uh, again, especially offensively, they're going to go as Deshaun goes, but if he can make all the throws, um, I think this, this is going to be really big for, um, the scheme, the calls and what they're able to do from a sort of planning standpoint, obviously you get into the third, fourth quarter and a lot of that's going to go out the window and you're adjusting on the fly. But I, I think especially early on, like they've just got to have a good plan for this game. They really, really do. Um, and so I put a lot of, I think I put a lot of burden on both, uh, both Schwartz and, and Stefanski for this game because it's, it has that sort of magnitude and I think they have the ability to do it and to, to scheme it. And I think they need to show it because yeah, like you guys said, they, they win this game and it, it is just such a different feeling and it's such a signature win. And it just makes you feel really good about they've weathered something. They've weathered this abomination of a beginning of a season that has drove everyone insane, even though they have a winning record because you just never felt great to Andrew's point. Um, you would feel like you came out of the other side in a really good spot. And that's not a feeling we have often as Browns fans. So um, that would be my final thought there. All right. Well, that's a wrap on today's round table. Hopefully you guys enjoyed the little twist of uh, style we put on this one, but I, I think special games deserve some special attention. So we wanted to give the proper amount of attention to this game should be a fun one. We will have a behind enemy lines coming up sooner. You can learn more about where the Ravens are as a difference to where they were just back in week four, because some guys are healthier and they're doing some different things. So we're going to talk through that scheme stuff with a guest, like I said. Otherwise, continue to check out the rest of the week. Andrew and I will be back over the weekend with our college football picks, NFL picks. Get back on track with that. And then you'll have your game day podcast as well. So like uh, I always say, thanks to Jordan and Andrew for stopping by today, being here, doing the show. I think it was really good and insightful stuff in it. Hit us up with any remarks, questions, comments on Twitter or wherever you can find us. We're always open to have some banter on those things. So uh, you guys, listen, thanks for stopping by. Uh, appreciate you being here. Join the OBR. $1 your first month. Rate and review the pod. Thanks again. Have a great Thursday. Go Browns. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.